Well, you know, I, I, I know it's Mother's Day, and usually what I do on Mother's Day on Sunday is try to give some kind of Mother's Day sermon. Uh, but I decided not to do that this time only because I've, I've done so many Mother's Day sermons and it's kind of the same thing. And it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate mothers and that we shouldn't remember them. But uh, what I'd rather decided to do is just to continue in our series here in 1 Corinthians. And currently we're now in chapter 3. <clears throat> we're in chapter 3 and we're looking at verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9. You know, um, <clears throat> I don't know what you guys have been doing to keep in shape during this uh, this pandemic, uh, but it's, it's, it's been hard. It's not the same. You know, I, I'm, I'm used to at least having a gym available. So you're trying to keep in shape and do things at home. And what I try to do is um, try to run. And the only thing I'm learning as I'm trying to run, as I run around the neighborhood and outside, is how out of shape I really am. And so it's, it's not easy. Um, and running outside is actually harder than I think running on a treadmill in the gym. But one of the things about running outside in your neighborhood, at least in our neighborhood, is that, you know, there are some hills, there are some ups and downs. And, you know, as you struggle up your first hill and you're running up there and I'm gasping for breath, and then you're just looking forward to the downhill run, which is a lot easier. But as you get over that hump, you realize that, that there's another hill in front of you and there's another hill that you've got to run up to. And it's kind of discouraging. It's a challenge and um, it's, it's kind of hard. You're expecting to go downhill, but then as soon as you do, there's another uphill. And the reason I bring that up is oftentimes I, I think sometimes that's how we think our Christian lives ought to be. That, that once you become a Christian, that, that many of our problems in life, many of the things that we struggle with, uh, even the positive things like peace and joy, the answers to our life. We, we think that these things will come once you become a Christian. But just like getting over that first hump, just as you get over it, you, you see in life there's another hill. There's another thing, uh, an uphill that you've got to run. And, and it's not easy. And so such is like our life, especially if you're trying to live like a Christian. And I think just to, just to kind of in a nutshell, what we're looking at here in, in the church here in Corinth is that the, the things that they're struggling with, even though they're particular in issues that maybe are, are particular to this church, there are things that also underneath those things that are very common to even to our culture today. And two things I think that make it difficult to live our Christian life, two things is this. One is the world around us and the culture we live in. Sometimes uh, living as a Christian in our culture, we feel like that, that salmon or that fish that's kind of swimming against the current while everyone else is kind of floating downstream. And so being a Christian in our current con context isn't always easy. And if you haven't experienced that, if you haven't experienced that in your cultural context, uh, I dare to say that maybe you haven't experienced Christianity to its fullest because there's always been that way. So that's an issue, the, the, the outside world around us. But secondly, our, our, our desires inside, inside of us, our humanness, uh, even our sinfulness, also make it hard uh, to live our Christian life. And so as we grow in our Christian life, uh, we, we need to be aware of what's going on outside in our world and to watch carefully. But we also need to uh, look inside and in our hearts, our desires, because oftentimes these things are closely connected. And this is what I think that the church in Corinth was going through. This is what their problem was in this church, uh, in the Corinthian church. And in our passage today, our chapter today, Paul is addressing this particular struggle uh, here in this church, a struggle that he mentioned briefly already in chapter one. And it's the issue of unity. There were divisions in this church. In other words, uh, they were... 
there were a lot of clicks. There were a lot of uh, struggles in the community of this church. Basically, they just weren't getting along. This group wasn't just, it just they just weren't getting along. You know, I'm going to be very honest. You know, one of the biggest headaches for me as a pastor is, it's not so much the, the big and terrible sins that maybe certain people or certain of us may struggle with. It's oftentimes these these issues of just getting along in the church, uh, the issues of unity and division uh, that become bigger problems than it really needs to be. And, and to be honest, sometimes I look at some of the reasons for this, and it, it, it's kind of silly for why things were doing this. And it's almost silly here in our passage. There were divisions in this church because uh, of leadership. They, they had loyalties to certain people, whether it was Paul or Apollos or Peter. They, 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 they had these cliques because they wanted to say, we follow this guy or we follow that guy. And if you look at it, it it's, kind of, it's kind of stupid. You know, it, it, it's kind of silly. But this silly issue became a big issue within the community of this church. And so what I'm going to do here in this passage is this. I'm not going to be addressing so much the issue of unity because we've, we've done that already. Uh, we've done it elsewhere. But what I want to do is I want to look at more broadly, uh, more basically, the general issue of the spiritual state of this Christian church and of why they were struggling the way they did. Okay, And if you look carefully in our passage, the way that Paul writes this passage is, is somewhat like a doctor. Uh, I know we appreciate our, our medical workers today, and, and, and so in such a way, Paul is sort of writing like a doctor, a spiritual kind of doctor, as you will, as he addresses the issue in this church with these people. Three things I want us to see here. Uh, verses 1 to 3, Paul gives a diagnosis. He gives a diagnosis of what he thinks is the problem in this church. Verse 3 and 4, he then gives you underlying causes for why they are struggling the way they are. And then verse 5 through 9, and in fact, the rest of this chapter, he gives us the beginning of a treatment plan, a treatment plan, all right? So we're going to look at those three things. One, a diagnosis that Paul gives to this church, the underlying causes, two, and then the beginning of a treatment plan, verses 5 through 9. Okay, so let's look at this carefully. In verses 1 to 3, the word diagnosis, by the way, uh, comes from two Greek words. Uh, dia means through, and, and gnosis means uh, to know. Uh, and so literally it means to know through something. That's what a diagnosis is. You look at the symptoms, and then you want to go behind the symptoms through to the real problem. And so making a diagnosis means to discover, to identify, or to address the real issue of what's going on and why the symptoms are there. And this is what Paul is doing here. Look at what Paul says here um, in verse 1. He says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. What's Paul saying here? And I, I want this to be clear. I, I I can't help but see this as a rebuke to this church. Uh, after saying how much he loves this church and, and how much God loves this church and how much they're Christians and what God has done for them, he starts, I think he begins to slowly rebuke them. And it, and it can be kind of a little bit harsh, but think about this. What does he say in verse one? He says, I can't talk to you spiritually, right? I can't talk to you spiritually as spiritual people because of what you're going through and what you're doing. That's what he's saying here. Now, let's, let's be clear about what that means. Uh, what do we mean when we say spiritual? And oftentimes, you immediately think someone who's spiritual is, is someone who's maybe, I don't know, always talking about heaven, always talking about God or Jesus. Maybe someone who's spiritual is someone who's just sort of 
otherworldly, you know, uh, in that kind of spiritual sense. But Paul, the when he uses the word spiritual, oftentimes the word spiritual here ought to have a capital S. When Paul uses the word spiritual, many times he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, right? And when he says someone is spiritual, he's not saying that they're just sort of otherworldly. He's talking about those people who are then controlled or influenced by the Spirit of God. In other words, to be spiritual means you're a Christian. And Christians, all Christians then, are spiritual. Now, how do I know this? Because you read chapter 2, verse 15, and he explains that already, that the natural man is the one who doesn't believe. He's not saved, right? That's in verse 15. But the spiritual man, he understands the word of God, and he's the Christian. So when Paul uses the word spiritual, he's not talking about a more special kind of Christian, but he's just talking about a Christian. And all Christians then, in this sense, whether you talk like it or whether you always act like it, if you are a Christian, you are, in fact, spiritual. That the Holy Spirit has come into your heart, that he's moved your heart to accept the faith, that you live by his grace. And so that's what it means for the Apostle Paul. Now, if you understand this, look at what Paul says here in verse 1. He says, I can't talk to you as spiritual. He's saying, basically, he's saying this, I can't talk to you like a Christian. Why? Because in verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? Paul is saying this, I can't talk to you as spiritual. He's saying, I can't talk to you like a Christian because verse 3, you're still behaving in a human way. You're still acting like a non-Christian. That's what he's saying. That's what I think he's trying to say. Then what's going on here? Why, why is it like this? He knows that they're Christians, but why does he say this? And so in our passage, Paul uses these two metaphors. Uh, one is the in, a metaphor of, of an infant or a baby, and the second one we'll look at later in our passage is the infant, uh, is the not the infant, but the metaphor of, of farming or agriculture. And he uses this metaphor of infants or babies. And he says in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Even now, you are not ready for it. And so he's saying, you are like infants. I can't talk to you as spiritual because you are still infants. I fed you with milk, for you're not ready for it. But even now, you're not ready for it. solid food, right? Now, let's look at what Paul's trying to say here. And I want to be clear about this because I think he's being very direct and he is probably stepping on some toes here. But what do you think about when you think about babies or infants, right? Uh, they're oftentimes very small and, and very cute. And, and most of us, we, we like babies. You know, we, we appreciate babies. But, you know, if you ever had a child, if you're, you know, if you had babies, you know this, you take them to the pediatrician and... Uh, the pediatrician checks them out. And I don't know how they come up with these statistics and these percentages, but there is an expected rate of growth, right, for, for these babies in terms of weight gain, uh, in terms of gaining taller or getting, getting taller. Uh, and sometimes maybe a, a baby doesn't do that according to these scales. Sometimes it doesn't seem like they're developing normally. And when that happens, uh, doctors call it this. It's a failure to thrive. It's a failure to thrive. Something is hindering 
proper growth, whether it's malnutrition, whether it's some kind of disease, whatever it is, uh, something is hindering them from growing. And so if the baby is going to start thriving, the pediatrician needs to make a diagnosis. And here in verse one through three, like infants or babies at a clinic, Paul is giving you his diagnosis of the church and why they're going through what they were going through. The Corinthians were failing to thrive. They were failing to thrive, failing to grow, right? Now, who is a baby, right? Who are the babies he's talking about? And, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, when you call someone like a baby in, in the Christian terms, it, it simply, it means basically that they're, they're a new Christian, right? You're a baby Christian. You're a new Christian. You just became a Christian. So in that sense, you're a baby. But I want you to know this. Nowhere in scripture is anyone or anybody ever called a baby because he's a new Christian. Did you know that? If new Christians could be called babies, they wouldn't be called babies because they were new Christians. They were called babies because as new Christians, they just didn't know as much. They didn't know or understand as much. That's why they were called babies. And so when Paul says, you are still babies, you are infants, he's implying spiritual ignorance. He says, you know what, I, I, I can't talk to you as spiritual, as Christians, but I've got to talk to you still as babies. Why? Because you are still spiritually ignorant. That's what he's saying. And, and I can understand, if you were just a Christian, if you just became a Christian, you're a spiritual infant, uh, that you've just been saved. But Paul is coming to this church, uh, you know, at least uh, 18 months later. And so it's, they're not new anymore. There, there, there should have been some growth here. And so for Paul to call this church a baby or an infant here, it, it's a kind of rebuke, actually. And then it wasn't because they were cute or young or innocent, right? Think about it. Sometimes, you know, you meet a child who is mature beyond their years. And when you meet someone like that, a kid like that, you're generally impressed by that. And you oftentimes praise um, someone like this, right? But if you were to meet an adult who is acting like a baby, or an infant, that's not impressive, is it? That's kind of sad. Babies are cute when they're babies, right? But when you see like a 20-year-old person with the mind of an infant or a baby, that's, that's, that's kind of tragic, actually. That's not cute, is it, right? And so Paul here is talking to this church who's struggling with this very mundane issue. And he's saying this, I can't talk to you as spiritual. I've got to talk to you as infants or babies. And to put it nicely, if he's being nice, he's basically saying this, you're spiritually immature. But I think it's even stronger than this. I think to put it more bluntly, he's basically saying this, you're spiritually being stupid. You're spiritually being stupid for why you're going through what you're going through, right? You're spiritually immature. He's saying this, they are Christians, but their behavior was such that Paul couldn't even speak to them as, as spiritual or as Christians or as maturing disciples because they're still living like they weren't a Christian anymore. And you have to understand, right? I mean, if someone called you a baby, if you were an adult, it's, it's kind of a, maybe somewhat offense. I mean, I don't know, maybe you call your wife babe, right? Or your husband babe, I don't know. But it's a blow. It was a blow, I think, to, to the people here in this church here. It was a blow to their ego uh, to be called spiritually ignorant or spiritually immature because the irony is this. 
This church thought they were the most spiritually mature. You read on later on in this chapter, they thought they were spiritually mature because they were practicing all these spiritual gifts, right? They, they were practicing all these miraculous gifts in the church. And because of this, they considered themselves pretty mature as Christians. And what we're seeing here, even from chapter three, is this. I don't care how many Bible studies you've led, all right? I don't care how many prayer meetings you've attended, how many mission trips you've been to, how much of church attendance you've been able to accomplish. If your behavior, if your words and your actions don't match up to your faith, right? If you're in church on Sundays and uh, you're just doing certain ways in front of other churchgoers, but Monday through Saturdays, you're living a life that you know you shouldn't. If you're rationalizing this away by saying, well, look at, this is how everyone else is doing it in the world. Or you're looking at inside your heart and mind and you say, this is what I really want. This is just more practical, right? Then you're being spiritually stupid. That's what he's saying. Oh, this is easier. This is practical. You know, this is what everyone else is doing. Look, sometimes being a Christian is not practical. It's not always easy. But you're not called to be practical. You're called to obey, even if it goes against the grain of everyone else around you, even if it means it goes against what you want. Sometimes you're called to run up another hill. Sometimes you're called to swim upstream rather than downstream. And as Paul said in chapter 2, sometimes you're called to die to yourself, to your own desires, and to what you want for the sake of Christ. You know, Paul had already said, these people here in this church, you are Christians. And don't you know the principle in your own group? Don't you know the principles of grace and forgiveness and mercy? Don't you know those ideas? And they're saying, yeah, I, I do know those things. I just can't apply it. Spiritual stupidity. That's what he's saying. Their, pra their, their practice didn't match their position. And that's why there were issues in this church. That's why there's divisions, jealousy, and strife. Yeah, I'm going to be very honest. You know, most of the issues that, that, that create divisions in the church, to be honest, in my opinion, I, I think it is pretty stupid. Uh, sometimes very petty, very small in regards to the issues of what others are going through. And yet they become, or the consequences of those things become pretty big. And, it, and, and it's, really, it's really a sign of immaturity. That's what I think Paul's trying to tell this church. Spiritual immaturity. They needed baby food still. That's the issue. And after he came back to see them, they still needed baby food. Their growth is stunted. There was a failure to thrive. And this is his diagnosis. In Paul's eyes, the church ought to have made some progress in their growth, but they haven't. Okay? That's what he sees. Now, the question we ask today is this. How about you? If Paul or, or if God were to make an examination uh, of your spiritual condition, what would he find? Will he find someone who, who ought to be mature and making progress and growing in faith, but in fact living like a, an infant, living as immature? Will he look at your life? Would, would, would they look at your life as a Christian and maybe write in their case notes next to your name, failure to thrive? A stunted Christian who refuses to grow up is a pitiful thing. And that's why Paul's diagnosis here is challenging. This is what he's giving to this church. This is why they're struggling, even in their unity. Okay? So verses 1 
to three. That's what that's what he tells us. The second point here is this: verses three to four, uh, underlying causes, uh, why there, what what the issues were underneath this. And if you look at verse three, he says this: "For you are still of the flesh, while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way?" Right. And then in verse four, when one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Paulos." Are you not being merely human? Here's what's been stunting their growth. He says there's been jealousy in this group. There's strife in this group. Basically, there's, there's been a lot of pride. Uh, they were squabbling in their groups uh, in this church. They, a lot of them were taking offense to one another. A lot of them were holding grudges. A lot of them were muttering about each other behind their backs. A lot of them were throwing each other dirty looks, so on and so forth. You know what I'm talking about. But verse 3, what I want to point out here is this. He says, you are not, you are not behaving, aren't you not behaving only in a human way? And then in verse 4, he says, uh, are you not merely being human? Right? When you're acting like this, aren't you behaving only in a human way? Are you not merely being human? What, what does Paul mean by that? Um, you know, in the 80s, and I know I'm dating myself, but in the, in the 80s, there was a group, uh, a musician, a musical, not musical group, but a, uh, a group called Human League. I, I, I don't really like them that much, but they were popular in the 80s. And they had this one popular song called I'm Only Human. And the, the lyrics, well, the part of the lyrics go like this. He says, come on, baby, dry your eyes, wipe your tears, never like to see you cry. Won't you please forgive me? And the chorus goes like this. I'm only human of flesh and blood, I'm made, I'm just a man, only human, born to make mistakes. I'm only human of flesh and blood, made human, born to make mistakes. Uh, that's what Paul's, in a sense, agreeing with, okay? You know, if you're cynically looking at people, you know, even looking at this church and the issues they're going through, you find this in every church, and you could cynically say, well, that's how people are. Uh, people are just people, and sometimes people stink, right? Sometimes just people just, they just stink. And Paul agrees with that assessment. Paul agrees that people can sometimes stink because we're all human. We all make mistakes. We're, we're not perfect. Uh, we're all sinners, in his words. But here's the thing. For Paul, when he says that we behave only in a human way, impl he's implying this. He's implying that you're not only human. You're not only fleshly. That, that there's more. For Paul, he's saying this, you're also Christian. You're also spiritual. And to act according to only human way means to act entirely as though Christ isn't the Lord of your life. That the Spirit hasn't done anything for you. That Him dying on a cross has no effect on you. And so in an in a, in a indirect way, Paul is reminding this church that you're not only human. You're not only human. That you've been brought at a price. That you belong to the Lord Jesus. That you've been brought into this relationship, this union with him by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. That you're no longer your own. And that means you no longer have any right to things like pride or jealousy or even self-righteous anger. 
you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I hear so many times certain people, they, they struggle in relationships and they lose their temper and they're angry and, and, you know, they know what they did in response and what they said in response was wrong, but they said, you know what, you just don't understand. You don't understand what they did. You don't understand what, what they said. And, and so I have every right to respond this way. Now, what is that? that that's me thinking self-righteously, all right? I'm justifying myself. I'm telling myself I have every right to lose my temper because I'm the offended party after all, and they're the ones with the problem. And Paul is saying this to the church in Corinth. If you're acting this way, you're still acting only in a human way. You're acting as if you belong to you, as if you are in charge, as if you have the right to set the terms by which everyone else around you should treat you and respond to you and relate to you and deal with you. But Paul is reminding them, but you're in Christ now. You belong to him. You're not your own. He's loved you. He's bled for you. He's died for you. He's borne your sins. He's taken your guilt. He's reconciled you to God by the cross so that you've been adopted into the family of God, into the household of faith. You are now his. And you're called to live for him, not for yourself. Okay? So you have his diagnosis. It's a failure to thrive, to grow spiritually, immaturity, ignorance. Then you have these underlying causes, jealousy, pride, acting as if that we still only live in the flesh, but not in the spirit. Okay? Now, last point, what's, what's Paul's then treatment plan? What's the beginning, at least, of his treatment plan? Uh, so you look at one through four, he used this metaphor of, of, of infants and children, but now you look at verses five through nine, and the metaphor he uses changes. It turns into an agricultural one. And he starts talking about something like a servant working in a field, sowing and watering. And in verse five, he says this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave growth. Do you hear the agricultural language that he's using? Uh, what's he trying to say? You know what? I was, I was thinking about this. Maybe one day we should take a poll, a poll in our church and ask the question, who's your favorite elder? Right? Wouldn't that be interesting? And I know the elders are listening here and they're kind of nervous and they're saying, well, some of them are probably saying it's me, but uh, <laughs> no, it's probably not you. All right. Um, but wouldn't that be interesting? Who's your favorite elder or who's your favorite pastor? Uh, I wonder what the answers would be. And whatever the answers are, Paul is saying here, Paul wants to help us to understand how Christian growth begins to take place, okay? And the first thing he starts with is by debunking people's ideas about their favorite pastor or preacher or elder or leader. One commentator says about this passage, Paul here is depersonalizing and depedestalizing himself and people like Apollos and Peter. He depersonalizes himself. Look, notice in verse 5, he doesn't ask who is Apollos or who is Paul. What does he ask? He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? What are they? Almost as if to say they're nothing. And then he depedestalizes them. What I mean is this. Some people in their churches, they tend to place their pastors on a, on a high pedestal, right? They tend to revere him this way. Some people do that. Now, that's not in our church, uh, whether good or bad, but uh, that's what they do. But Paul here, he's saying this. Uh, we are servants. The word servant here in this, in this metaphor, we are, we're farmhands. We're manual labor. That's all they are, Okay. 
And so the point that he's pressing here is that since pastors and preachers and elders and teachers and servants or leaders are only servants, okay, they're not the ones who you owe your salvation. They didn't convert you. They didn't change you. They didn't bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what he's trying to say. And to be honest, even as a pastor speaking myself, I'm not really sure how to take that. It's kind of humbling. Um, there was a pastor in Philly that I knew, a younger guy who came up to me. I didn't really know him at first, but he told me that his wife uh, became a Christian uh, at a retreat that I spoke at. And, you know, she became a Christian and then she, she married this pastor and now they're, they're missionaries in China. And so uh, I didn't remember who she was, but the, the, the pastor brought his wife to me and the wife was saying, you know, uh, about how thankful she was that she went to the retreat and she was thanking me for just being there. And, you know, what my response was, I, I didn't really know how to respond at that time, but uh, she was thanking me. And, and all I could say was, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. And then just kind of, kind of laughed it off. But uh, that person didn't become a Christian because of me right? Uh, we're just servants. We're, we're instruments in the hands of another. It wasn't me. It wasn't your, that pastor, that speaker, that, that elder, that teacher. Look, verse 6 says this, I planted Apollos water, but what does he say? God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. And this is where our focus needs to rest. God gave the growth. It's not on men. The focus is not on people. It's not on pastors or leaders. It's, it's, it's neither the one who plants or the one who waters anything, but only God gives the growth. That's what he's saying. None of these guys caused your Christian life to begin, nor can they make it grow. Yes, they preached and they taught, they pastored, they shepherded, they planned and they executed, whatever it was. They planted, they watered the seed of the word, but where does the growth come from? Where does life come from? Here's the question. Where should you look for grace when you fail to grow or thrive or mature? Right? Where do you turn to for new life or, or for a growth spurt, as it were? And in verse 6, Paul says, God gave growth, past tense. Verse 7, he says, only God gives growth, present tense. He still gives growth. And what Paul's trying to say is this. Don't look to people for the work that only God can do. Don't look to people for life and the things that only the Lord can supply. That's what he's saying. Ultimately, growth and maturity is God's business. Yes, through servants, but it comes from him. And this is something to remember, because when you forget this, what tends to happen is we, we look to people, we look to leaders instead of the Lord for our growth. And if you do this, either two things are going to happen. You will either idolize people because you think they all have the answers, or you will demonize them because you think they're the problem. And when that happens, that's when the church starts to break. That's when growth becomes stunted and there's a failure to thrive. Okay? So what's your diagnosis today? Are you, are you failing to grow, to mature, or to thrive? Are you stunted? Or are you still a baby Christian who ought to have grown up a long time ago? 
Growing in our Christian life then isn't just a mechanical result of the right application of principles or, or, or behavior by us or the, or the use of leadership or programs or the church, but more importantly, real growth is organic and it happens when we live in and cultivate the depth and the sweetness of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're in the situation just like Paul or just like these, church, these people in Corinth, Maybe it's time for you to come to God in Christ again. Come to God in Christ for growth. Whether it's in prayer, or whether it's in the Word, or whether it's in worship, to pray. You know, one of the positive things about this coronavirus pandemic is that, uh, even though it's online, we've had more attendance in our prayer meetings and Bible studies than ever before. And maybe that's just because, you know, you guys have nothing else better to do, uh, you know, that evening. But whatever the reason is, uh, it's an opportunity to become closer to God. And so uh, wherever you are today, just pray and trust that you remind yourselves that you're not just human, you're not just flesh, but by faith in Christ, you're spiritual. And therefore, let him rule your life. Come to God for growth and never stop growing. Let's pray.